All right, well, we're there in uh, Genesis chapter number 26. And this morning, uh, I did something a little different. I preached in the morning uh, the sermon that I would have preached tonight uh, out of our Patriarch series there in the book of Genesis. And tonight, we're just going to keep on going, and we're going to pick up right where we left off through the story of Isaac, all right? This morning, we basically went up to about verse 11, and we're going to pick up right there in verse number 12. In Genesis 26 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Then Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. I want you to remember from this morning, there was a famine in the land. And during the time of the famine, the Bible says in the same year, Isaac was able to receive an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. This is all financial blessings during a time of the famine. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. Why did the Philistines envy him? Here's why. Because they're going through a famine while he's succeeding financially. And, and, and the idea here, it's a financial thing that's going on. But the idea is this. You and I go through famines in our life. It may be a financial famine, but that's not always necessarily the, 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 the case. We go through storms. We go through trials. We go through tribulations in our lives, and it ought to be, it ought to be that during times of famines, the, the blessings of God can be seen in our lives to the point where the Philistines would look over to us and envy us, where they would look over and say, I don't know how they're dealing with that tragedy. I don't know how they're dealing with the burial of that loved one. I don't know how they're going through that famine in their life, but even though we're all going through a famine, it seems like the blessing of God is upon them. And I want you to notice here that Isaac was immensely blessed by God even during a time of famine, and the Philistines envied him. Now look down at verse number 15. I want you to notice what the Philistines did. For all the wells, all the wells which his father's servants had digged. Here we have these wells. They're living in a desert-type region, so access to water is extremely important. And the Bible tells us that all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Here's what happened. Abraham, remember Abraham is the old generation. Abraham is the prior generation, had had a lot of work done. He had, had dug and had his servants dug these wells. And I don't know if you ever dug anything, but digging is hard work. If you start digging a trench or something, it, it, it took a lot of work to be able to do this. And, and Abraham did this so that he and his family might have the resource needed for them to succeed. But it was something that was supposed to be there for the next generation. Those wells were supposed to be there so that Isaac and so that Jacob and so that his descendants might have access to water there in the land that they were living Abraham had set this up for that next generation, but I want you to notice what the Philistines did. The Philistines, who envied them, had stopped them and filled them with earth. Now, here's the thing. There's no reason in the world why you would ever want to fill a well with earth, you know, a well that's fine, it's not poisonous or anything like that. There's no reason in the world you want to do that if you weren't just trying to be mean, right? If you weren't just trying to cause problems. If you weren't just, here's what they were doing. 
They saw Abraham succeeding. They saw Isaac succeeding. They said, these guys have too much of a blessing. Let's go pick on them a little bit. These guys are having too much of an influence. Let's go pick on them a little bit. These guys are getting too much accomplished. They're getting too much done for God. Let's go try to slow them down. And they stopped and filled the wells. Now, this morning we talked about Isaac and we talked about Abraham. And we used the, the story there as an illustration about the fact that we influence our children. They will deal with the same culture, they will deal with the same temptation, they will deal with the same trouble, and they will often respond in the same way. And we have to be careful to make sure that what we, they see in us is something that will be uh, 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 inherited in them, a walk with God, integrity, and things of that nature. The, tonight, I want to continue that illustration, but I want you to notice this. Uh, in verse number 16, the Bible says this, And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. Now notice verse 18. Because in verse 15, the Philistines had filled up the wells with earth. Look at verse 18. And Isaac digged, notice this word, again. Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. Here's, here's the point. I, I just have two main points I want to give you tonight. If you'd like to write these down, if you have a baby on your lap, I understand. But if you're able to take these notes down, maybe you can write these statements down. Number one, the next generation needs to reestablish the work of the prior generation. Every generation, every new group of leaders, group of young leaders, and I, I would consider myself part of this generation, and, and, and for whatever God has allowed me to have some sort of a small influence upon this movement that we find ourselves in, but you need to understand this. If you do not, if, if the current generation or the next generation does not reestablish the works of the prior generation, then those works will be lost. We need to understand that we did not just get here on our own. We need to understand that we're not just here without anybody's help. You know, we need to understand that we're, whatever, whatever we have, whatever beliefs we have, whatever doctrine we have, whatever organization we have, whatever we know about soul winning, about the King James Bible, about the, 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 the doctrines of the faith that, does, that, that make us who we are as independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists, we did not get here on our own. See, there were men before, like Abraham, who took the time to dig some wells, who took the time to get some work done, who took some time to establish some path, to do some things, and we need to be mindful of that, and at the same time, we need to fight for those old wells. See, the Bible says, you're there in Genesis, keep your place there, that's the text for tonight. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 6. You know these ver this verse, but let's look at it together. Jeremiah chapter 6, towards the end of the Bible there, you got the major books of the Bible. You've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Today, even in our movement, We've got young people who have decided, you know, that they want to make an enemy out of guys like Jack Hiles, out of guys like Curtis Hudson, out of guys like 
uh, like John R. Rice. And I'm not, I, look, listen to me, I don't agree with everything Jack House did. I don't agree with everything John R. Rice did. I don't agree with everything that Curtis Hutton did. Some of these guys I don't really even know that well, like Lester Roloff. I, I, I don't, I'm not telling you that I agree with everything or I, I uh, endorse everything that these guys did, but I will tell you this. The only reason that you and I even know about the King James Bible and the only reason that you and I even know about soul winning and the only reason that you and I even know about separation, the only reason we've been given a heritage by old men like Abraham, they were sinners. Like Abraham, they were messed up. Like Abraham, they did things that weren't right, but they they built some walls. They dug some wells. They gave us a foundation. And every new generation needs to reestablish the work of the prior generation or we will lose it. And, and here's what you need to understand. Are you there in Jeremiah chapter 6? Look at verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask. Notice, for the old path. Where is the good way? And walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. And listen to me. There is a new generation of fundamentalists today. And, I, and I, I'm preaching a real unique sermon tonight about fundamentalism and the future of fundamentalism. But there is a movement of young fundamentalists coming out of these Bible colleges right now, all these Bible college graduates that are supposed to be starting plants, and they are choosing, like Jeremiah 6.16 says, they are choosing to not stand in the old path. And in fact, they are trying. It's like I, the IFB movement is trying to pretend like they've got amnesia or something, and they're trying to forget about certain things. There were certain wells that were dug back in the 60s, back in the 70s, back in the 50s, back in the 80s, and they're trying to act like they weren't there. Here's what the new fundamentalist movement is doing. They're letting the Philistines fill the wells with the earth, and they're just forgetting about it. They don't want to go back and redig those old wells. They just want to act like they're not even there. But listen to me. At Verity Baptist Church, we want to stay with the old stuff. We want to stand with the old path. We want to stay with old-time religion. And there are some doctrines that I'm just, I just want to explain to our church tonight. I want to explain to our church family tonight. Whoever listens to this sermon on YouTube, I just want to explain. There are certain things at Verity Baptist Church. There's a tradition. There are wells that were given to us that we have no interest in forgetting about. And in fact, if the Philistines dig them in, we'll dig them back out. If the Philistines fill them in, we'll fill them back out. You say, what, what, what kind of uh, uh, wells are you talking about? How about this one? Standing for hard preaching. I mean, the fundamental Baptist movement, you're there in Jeremiah, head backwards in one, one book to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58. And the fundamental Baptist movement, they're trying to separate themselves from hard preaching. Let me tell you something. The independent fundamental Baptist church and, and, and Baptist churches in general was known, it was known for a hard preaching. And today we've got this movement. They want to look as much like the contemporary church as possible. I mean, what, look at the church plants coming out of these Bible colleges right now, and you've got supposed independent fundamental Baptists, and they're getting rid of the pulpits, they're getting rid of the ties, they're, they're coming in casual, they, you know, they've got screens, and look, I'm not against screens, screens are fine, screens don't make you uh, sinful, but they've got these screens up, and here's what they're trying to do, they're trying to look as much like Rick Warren as possible. They're trying to look as much like the, the, uh, the, the, the TV preacher as possible. They're getting rid of hard preaching. They're getting rid of biblical preaching. The Bible says, are you there in Isaiah 58? Look at verse 1. Notice what it says. Isaiah 58 and verse 1. Cry aloud. Sometimes people ask, why do you got to get so excited and yell? 
Because the Bible says cry aloud. The word cry means to yell, means to shout. In the Bible, the word cry doesn't mean like tears, like I'm crying. The word weep is used in our King James Bible. Cry aloud. He's saying, I want you to raise your voice. I want you to shout. And by the way, you young preachers, make sure you don't just get up here and, and speak and talk and dialect. Make sure every once in a while you get a little excited and you just cry aloud. Amen. You get excited and you yell. Cry aloud. Notice, spare not. You know what the word spare not means? Don't omit anything. There, there ought not be any part in the Bible that you're not willing to preach publicly. And today these guys are being taught, oh no, there are certain issues. We want to deal with those in a Sunday school setting. We want to deal with those in a small group setting. You never want to stand up publicly and have to talk about abortion. You never want to stand up publicly and have to talk about the homos. You never want to get up publicly and have to, listen to me, if God said it, we ought to be willing, Jesus had to shout it from the rooftops. We ought to be willing to raise our voices, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Is a trumpet silent? Now let me explain to you. You say, well, what's hard preaching? It's hard preaching to somebody yelling. Look, yelling is good, cry aloud. But that doesn't make hard preaching hard preaching. It's hard preaching somebody being all excited. Look, you, you, can, you can go to a bunch of these Pentecostal churches and they're real excited. And they're yelling, and they're running around, and they got flags, and they're all excited. But here's the only problem is they're not saying anything. They want to talk about God's got to make a way through the wilderness, and he's going, to get, he's going to fund your account. And, you know, they're really excited about the prosperity gospel, but they're not really saying anything. You want to know what hard preaching is? It's right here. Notice, and show my people their transgression. Hard preaching is applicable preaching. At Verity Baptist Church, we, we, we lay heavy on application. We, we, we don't just tell you what the passage says. We apply it to your life. Because God says, show my people their transgression. And the house of Jacob, their sin. And you know what I've noticed? People like hard preaching until it comes down their aisle. You know, they, they like it when you're preaching against this group and that group and these people. When you come around to their little sin or their little TV show or their whatever it might be, all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know why pastor's talking about that. But the Bible says to cry aloud. The Bible says to spare not. The Bible says to lift up thy voice like a trumpet to show my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sin. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, you know the verse says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I just want you to understand, that is a well, that is a tradition, the tradition of heart preaching, the tradition of having a man stand up with the word of God, with the spirit of God, and to preach and thunder forth and say, thus saith the Lord. And we ought not give up that well. Because today, people are giving up that well. They're saying, don't raise your voice. They're saying, don't apply. They're saying, don't call out people's sins. They're saying, don't focus too much on the Bible. Just get, you know, just give them nice illustrations. Give them a poem. Make sure you've got a couple of jokes, and then just move on. You don't want to hurt people's feelings, but listen to me. That's not the tradition that was handed out to us. And we've got, and we've got to stand for that. You know, today, the IFB movement is trying to forget certain things. They're trying to act like they are not from where they came from, but there is a tradition that was handed to us about hard preaching, and we want to not forget. Let me give you another one they're trying to act like we never believed. Another one they're trying to act like we never, we never believed. Uh, go, go to Deuteronomy 22. If you kept your place in Genesis, you just go Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Another one that they're trying to shy away from, get away from. When I was growing up, I mean, this is what made you a fundamental Baptist. You weren't even a Baptist until you did this. 
Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5, the Bible says this. And listen to me, Deuteronomy is still in the Bible. Last I checked, I had to find my Bible on a treadmill, but last I checked, Deuteronomy 22.5 was still there. Nobody cut it out. Deuteronomy 22.5, the Bible says this, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord. And this is something that was preached it's been preached for decades by the Independent Federal Baptist Movement. When I was growing up, you weren't a Baptist till you were skirts only, ladies. Hey, that's what that verse is talking about. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. According to this verse, there's a garment that belongs to a man, and women ought not wear it. And it's, it's, the, it's a pair of pants. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. When I was growing up, everyone believed this. But today, today, Federal Baptist is trying to forget about that one. There's an Independent Federal Baptist church down the street. I could throw a rock at it, and the wife, the pastor's wife, runs around town wearing pants. I mean, when I, when you say, people want to say all this stuff about Jack Howes. They want to say all this stuff about John Ryan. I'll tell you something about Jack Howes. If, if that woman was a pastor's wife wearing pants, and, and she was around him, he would have he got all mad. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying I, he should have done this, but he would have been like, get this Jezebel out of here. Good night. You know, and he would have got mad and yelled, what? And, and listen to me, it's still there. And, and, and today, you've got people, and they act. Even independent vulnerable Baptists try to act like we're crazy for preaching that women ought to wear dresses, women ought to wear skirts, men ought to wear pants, women ought to look like women, men ought to look like men. They act like we're crazy, and, like, and they just try to forget about it and act like it never came up. But we're not forgetting about it at Verity Baptist Church. Amen. We're going to dig that well back up. You say, well, it's not in style. We're going to dig that wall back up. It's not popular. We're going to dig that wall up back. And, and, and listen to me. It's a big deal. Are you there in Deuteronomy 22.5? Look at what he says. For all that do so are, what's that next word say? Let's read that out loud. Abomination. Let's say, come on, let's say it out loud. Abomination. You know what else that word is used for? You know what else God uses that word to describe? You know what he does? He describes a bunch of filthy sodomites as an abomination. You say, what, what's the connection between Women wearing pants and, and the homos. There's, there's a bigger connection there than you think. I've got an article right here from the New York Times. It's titled, Meet Cover Girl's New Cover Boy. You heard about this? Someone, one of the ladies was talking to my wife about this. Beauty contracts have long been a brass ring for celebrities. Acknowledgement of their rising profiles that also provides additional income and the chance to tap wider audiences. So what does it mean that CoverGirl's latest face is a boy? He is James Charles, 17, a high school senior from Bethlehem, New York, who lives with his parents and a younger brother and does makeup for friends in his spare time. In the past, uh, in the past year or so, Mr. Charles has amassed, uh, amassed nearly 650,000 followers on his Instagram account and more than 90,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel where, the post, uh, where he posts tutorials for creating fake freckles or layering chunky glitter around the eyes. This is a guy that puts makeup on for a living and CoverGirl, who's one of the leading makeup uh, uh, Companies has decided to put them on his cover, on their cover, and they've got this ad. My, my wife and I were looking at it on, on YouTube this morning. They've got this ad. 
Well, they're making, they're basically saying, you know, equality for everybody, and it's fine for this guy to put on makeup like a girl, and he's got all his makeup on, and he's got all these uh, fake freckles on or whatever. It, uh, the article says this, the selection of Mr. James by CoverGirl comes amid a broader questioning of traditional gender boundaries in fashion and beauty and the growth of a crop of internet famous beauty junkies who have built following, uh, uh, followings through social media. On the more traditional celebrity end, there's Jaden Smith and his unceasing effort to make skirts mainstream for men. The musician and actor son of Will Smith and Jada Pickett Smith appeared in, I don't even know how to pronounce these names right, you ladies will know it better than I, uh, Louis Vuitton's women's wear campaign last January. He donned a prom dress, and he said that he's generally a fan of super drapey things, he told GQ. There's also a rapper, Young Thug, who made waves in August when he released a cover art for his album, No, My Name is Jeffrey, featuring him in a tiered uh, fufu dress that uh, recalled both Japanese kimonos and antebellum south. Before then, he'd worn dresses for a Calvin Klein campaign where he said there's no such thing as gender and for Days Magazine. Within fashion designers such as, I don't know these names, Alessandro Mikel of Gucci, J.W. Anderson, Dimna Gavselia, and Shane Oliver of Hood by Air have all become known for testing the notions about gender dressing. And in beauty, a group of young men have made their way into the industry through grassroots entrepreneurial efforts entrenched in YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapshot with devoted followings. They have carved out a space of experiment and expand the notion of being male. And here's what's interesting. It's not in this, in this article, but uh, on the news article, when uh, on the news thing that we were looking at, you've got the, the, the person giving the news, the lady giving the news, and she's talking about this guy. He's 17 years old, and he makes all these videos where he gets all this weird makeup on, and he's teaching the ladies how to put makeup on, he's teaching men how to put makeup on, and they're like, oh, and also, he's openly gay. You know, that's all her words. And I'm just like, oh, what a surprise. <laughs> you know, she's, she's trying to act like these two things are not connected. This guy puts makeup on, oh, and also, by the way, he's openly gay. No, look, he puts makeup on because he's gay. I don't even like using that word, you know? And, and then, like, he's openly gay. He, you know, he puts on this makeup. He also, they have a picture of him in a dress with a girl. And listen to me. There's a connection between the sodomite movement and men look, dressing like women and women dressing like men. And see, you, you look at Jada Smith or whatever that guy's name is, Will Smith's son, who's going around get, taking all these pictures of the dress, and you might think, like, oh, that's weird. That's, you know, and people laugh at it today. But listen to me. Back in the 50s, when women started putting pants on, people did the same thing. They said, oh, that's weird. Oh, oh, only in Hollywood would they do that. And of course, mainstream. But listen, more people did it, more people did it, more people did it, became more accepted, became more accepted, became more accepted. And today, even the independent fundamental Baptist movement will look at someone like me and say, I can't believe you're bringing that up. Well, as far as I can remember, Deuteronomy 22, 5 is still in the Bible. And, I, and I'm here to tell you, today, you look at this freak show, this 17-year-old kid, and by the way, his, you know, everyone's all so proud because he's cover boys, cover girl, or whatever. Man, if I had a 17-year-old that, that was known, that became famous for this, I, I'd shoot myself. Good night. I mean, I'd be so embarrassed that, that this is what I did to train 
You know, they're all like, oh, it's so nice that a, a male can put on makeup. Here's the thing about this young guy. He's no male. He's not a man. You know, and, and here's the thing. Today, people are like, oh, this is shocking. 950 views, you know, uh, or subscribers and all these other views. This is shocking. But 10 years from now, it won't be as shocking. And 20 years from now, it won't be as shocking. And 30 years from now, my son or your son will be standing behind a pulpit preaching about the fact that it's an abomination that men even put makeup on. And the independent fundamental Baptists, if they're still around, are going to say, I can't believe you to say that. That's a, that's a well that was dug. And look, you say, oh, I wear pants. You know, that's between you and God, ladies, but I'm not going to quit preaching it. It's in the Bible. It's a tradition that was given to us. And today you got the IFB movement trying to say, let's just put earth on that well. Let's just forget about that well. That's not, that's not uh, popular anymore. But listen to me. There always has to be a generation that goes back and reestablishes the works of the prior generation. And we're not going to forget about hard preaching. We're not going to forget about the fact that women ought to put dresses on and skirts on and not wear, uh, look like a bunch of men. And, and men ought to look like men. And by the way, men look like men. Just because you got a pair of pants on, you know, make sure you're not wearing those little tiny skinny jeans so we can see your little curves on your little hips. That's disgusting. You know, take the earring off, get a haircut like a man, look like a man, talk like a man, shake hands like a man, look somebody in the eye when they're talking to you, make sure you have a deep voice and act like a man. And look, today people say, like, I can't believe you say that. But that is a well that was dug for us by our forefathers. And today people are trying to get rid of it. And they're trying to forget it. But at Mary Baptist Church, we're just going to be the Isaac that says, okay, they put earth in it again. Let's just go redig it back out. The Bible colleges want to forget about it again. The preaching conferences want to forget about it again. But we're just going to stick with it. You say, uh, uh, you know, what, what else are they trying to forget about? Let me give you another one. Go to Matthew chapter number nine, 19. Matthew chapter number 19. The first book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter number 19. Here's another one everybody wants to forget about. Here's another one nobody wants to talk about. Here's another one nobody wants to preach about. Matthew chapter number 19, verse number 3. How about this? Standing against divorce. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 3. Let me explain something to you. The Bible is very clear on this. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. Jesus said this. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away? That's a biblical term for divorce. That's what put away Put away means divorce. To put away his wife for every cost? They're trying to get Jesus to give him permission. Can we just get a divorce for any reason? Look at verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Listen to me. You cannot unwind what God has won. He says, let not man put asunder. He says, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And today, you talk to, and look, independent from Baptists, you go talk to their pastors, and you ask them, do you believe in divorce? They're going to say, no, I, I don't think it's the best thing. I don't think it's good. But will they ever get up and preach it publicly behind a pulpit? Trying to forget about that well. Say, so why, why are they? Because look, they used to preach it. You know when they used to preach it? Back when divorce was almost unheard of. When almost no one did it, they, they preached about it. They said, it's wicked, it's terrible. Why? Because most people weren't going to get offended. But now that the divorce rate is up to 60% in America, and 60% of people get divorced, let's not touch that. Let's put earth on that well. Let's just forget. Let's, let's go down with the Philistines and forget about it. And listen to me. If you're here tonight and you've been divorced, I'm not against you. 
It's a sin like any other sin. Ask God to forgive you and move on. If you're married, then that's God's will for your life, and you stay with it, and you be loyal to it, and you don't quit. There's not a problem with that. But just because the divorce rate is 60% in America, I'm not going to quit preaching on it. I don't care if it goes to 70%, 80%. I don't care if 99% of people have been divorced in the United States of America. Jesus said that it's wrong. Jesus said what man, what God has joined together, let not man put us under. And I don't understand this idea. Oh, well, I did it or my friend did it or whatever, so now we can't preach again. Look, if I get a divorce, it's still wrong. I, I want my kids to hear that. If your dad gets a divorce, it's still sin. It's still wicked. It's still not right. And we ought to preach against it. But that's a well that they want to forget about. Don't ever touch on that. Don't ever preach on that. Don't ever talk about that. And here's what's funny. It's like one of the few clear statements that that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, Jesus gave us all these parables that nobody knows what they even mean. I mean, except the ones he actually told us. You know, there's all these parables. People are always coming up to me like, what about this parable? And I'm like, look, he gave that parable to confuse people. I don't know. You know, and, you got, and here's what's funny. You got all these liberals find every contemporary Christian church in this city, and every one of those pastors will have done a 37-week series on the parables of Christ. That's one of the most popular series today. And there's nothing wrong with that. One of these days, I'll preach a series on the parables of Christ. But here's what I think is funny. They want to preach all these parables of Christ where half of them we don't even understand. Half of them we're not even sure that we're interpreting them right. And then the one clear statement he gives us, one of the clear statements he waves us, it's like, ah, don't talk about that. Let's not go there. Look, that is a tradition that was handed down to us. I remember being a kid and hearing preaching against divorce. And here at Verity Baptist Church, we're just going to redig that well. We're just going to reestablish those words. How about this one? Go to Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter number 5. You're there in Matthew. You got Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter number 5. Here's another well they're trying to forget about. It's called soul winning. The independent Final Baptist movement wants to be done with soul winning. They're trying to replace it with anything. I mean, we, today we've got a whole lot of churches going into the sign movement. You know the sign movement where you stand on a corner with a sign? You know, I thought people did that as a minimum wage job, but now they're doing it as ministry. Now it's like, Jesus loves you, John 3.16, repent of your sins. And I mean, they're trying, they'll do, all these churches want to do a visitation where they're basically only going and visiting people that come and visit the church. I'm all for visiting people that visit the church, but we need to get the gospel to the world. Amen. Not everybody comes out to this church. And they, they, they want to go visit people that come to the church. They want to go stand on a corner with a sign. They want to go, you know, canvas areas, and we're just going to put these door hangers. We're not going to knock. We're not going to confront anybody. We're not going to say anything. We're just going to put these door hangers on the door. We're just going to put these uh, invitations on the door. We're never going to knock. We're not. Look, they're getting away from it. But the Bible says that we are to go into the highways and hedges with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, the Bible says this, And daily in the temple and in every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. It doesn't say, and in every house, they put a door hanger. It says, in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So there in Acts 5. Go to Acts chapter number 20. Look at verse 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. Acts 20, 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and I've taught you publicly from house to house in the Gospels. We see that Jesus sends out his disciples by two and two. He sends them out two by two. In Acts, they go from house to house. Soul winning is biblical. And by the way, that's a biblical term, soul winning. You know, he, Isaac didn't just dig up the wells. He called them by the name that Abraham called them. 
and we need to get back, and, and we're not ever going to quit on soul winning. People try to tell me, soul winning doesn't work, soul winning's for another day, soul winning may be back when Jack Howes was alive, but not today. Hey, it's in the Bible. It's, it's what God, and they're trying to forget about it because the liberals aren't doing it. You know, trying to go into, into lifestyle evangelism. They're trying to get away from it, but we need to stick by soul winning. There's a, there's a church out of Faithful Word that just started uh, in Tennessee. Uh, what's his name? Pastor Richard Miller started a church. It's called Soul Winning Baptist Church. I like that name. You know, I don't think he's ever going to go to lifestyle evangelism. Well, no, he went liberal when we find out that the name of the church now, and now it's called Lifestyle Evangelism Baptist Church, you know? When you put the, term, the word soul winning in the Bible, in, in the name, it kind of just gets you committed. You know, we need to get back to those old paths. We need to go back to those old wells. We need to read the, I know, I know, independent from Baptists today aren't soul winning anymore. I get that. I, I know that. But we're going to keep doing it. Amen. We're not going to quit on it. We're just going to, the, the world has dug up the earth in those wells, but we're going to stick with it. Let me give you another one. Go to Romans chapter number 12. You're there in Acts. Just go to the next book over. Romans chapter number 12. And, and this one's kind of teaching us more of a principle. Romans chapter number 12. But how about this? Independent from Baptists want to get rid of the old hymns. They're moving away from the old hymns. Go, go to the major conferences of independent from Baptists right now, and you know what you will find? Contemporary Christian music. Not current from the 90s. Not current from the early 2000s. They're just bringing in the contemporary Christian music because it's a little older than what's around right now. But listen to me. We are going to stick to the old hymns. We're going to stick to songs like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. We're going to stick to songs like Revive Us Again. We're going to stick to songs like How Great Is Thy Faithfulness and How Great Thou Art. The Bible says there, are you there in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Our music ought not be conformed to this world. Our music ought not be like this world. You say, what, the, the problem with the contemporary Christian movement today, you get on your, in your car and you turn on The Fish, you know, the Christian radio station in Sacramento, and, and you say, what's wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with that. All they did is they took the world's music, added the name of Jesus to it. It sounds just like the world. It sounds, it sounds just, it's just the Christian rock sounds like the worldly rock, just about Jesus. The Christian rock sounds like the worldly rock, just about Jesus. And the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. And people come here and they'll say, I can't believe you guys are still singing those old hymns. Yeah, we're just going to keep redigging that well. Over and over and over, and these kids are going to grow. We were singing tonight, How Great Thou Art, uh, and I was, I was remembering as a child singing that song. We're doing this Spanish class with the kids, and we end the the, the we end the, the the class singing a Spanish hymn. You know the the old hymn that we sing, but in Spanish. I grew up in a Spanish church, and they bring those songs bring back so many memories. And listen, these kids. People say you can't reach the the new generation with those old hymns. These kids seem to like it. I mean, they sing out, they raise their hand, they've got a favorite, they want to sing. My kids are always singing these hymns. Your kids are singing them at home. Hey, we don't have to give up on that old well that was handed down to us. It takes a new generation to redig those old paths. we got to stick with it. And there's certain things they want to forget about. There's certain things they're trying to get away from. Let me give you another one. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 18. You're there in Romans. Just one book over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse number 18. Here's another one. No one wants to preach against fornication anymore. No one wants to tell you that it's a sin to go to bed together before you're married. Say, so why don't they want to preach it? Because everyone's doing it, supposedly. 
because you know, eighty uh, percent of college students are 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 shacking up and and losing their virginity. But the Bible says, First Corinthians six eighteen, flee fornication, flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that commits fornication sinneth against his own body. And I understand these people say, you can't preach that. You can't say that. People don't want to hear that. But listen to me. That was a tradition that was handed down to us from the forefathers. It was a well that was dug for us before we even got here. And we need to redig that well. We need to get back to the place. Listen to me. We need to get back to the place in the independent, fundamental Baptist movement where it's just known and understood that young people stay pure, that they walk down an aisle and they are virgin and they are clean and they haven't defiled themselves uh, uh, amongst themselves. Hey, we need to get back to that. We need to rethink that. Well, don't tell me it can't happen. Don't tell me you and I can't raise children right now that become teenagers, that love God, that serve God, and that maintain their purity. It can happen. But here's what they're trying to say. The world, the world doesn't believe that anymore, so we can't preach it. Look, I don't care the Philistines. I don't care how much earth they put on that world. We'll redig it as many times as we need to. We're not going to quit preaching on it. And by the way, God says to kick you out of church if you're a fornicator. God says a little leaven, leaven up the whole lump. We're going to preach that too. We're not going to forget about that either. You say, well, you can't, nobody else says it. I don't care who says it. I don't care who doesn't preach it. It's something that was handed down from the word of God, and we're going to redig that well. Let me give you another one. You're there in 1 Corinthians 6. Go to, go, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Go past 1 and 2 Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians. I must have wrote down the wrong passage. Good night. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Good night. Where's that verse where it says, despise not prophesying? 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 520, there you go, sorry, wrote down the wrong reference there. First Thessalonians 520, notice what it says. I just quoted it for you. Despise not prophesying. Do you see that? Now the word prophesying is talking about preaching. Prophesying is not always, we think of the word prophesy and we think like you're foretelling the future. And definitely in the scripture sometimes there was times when people foretold the future. But in the Bible the word prophesy simply means to preach. There are passages all throughout the Bible where we're told someone's prophesying and there's never future being foretold. And here the Bible, when it's used that term prophesying, it's talking about what I'm doing right now. Because sometimes in the Bible what you and I call evangelism, God calls preaching. When we go out and preach the gospel. But when I stand up or a preacher stands up and publicly preaches the word of God, oftentimes God calls that prophesying. And here in in verse 20, it says, despise not prophesying. Today, we have a movement of young fundamental Baptists that are despising the open public preaching of the word of God. And you know what they're replacing it? Small groups. I'm not talking about the Rick Warrens. I'm not talking about the Joel Osteens. I'm talking about independent, fundamental Baptists who are saying, let's not get together on Wednesday night and have a pastor preach to us. Let's not get together on a Sunday night and have a man of God preach to us. Let's all get together in our living room with a Starbucks coffee and sit around the couch and we'll talk about this passage and you let me know what you think it means and I'll let you know what I think it means. And you know what they're doing? They're despising prophesying. 
We're never going to do a small group Bible study at Verity Baptist Church. Amen. We're never going to stand around and have a bunch of people. You, you say, why not? Because here's, the, here's, here's the, the truth, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but probably none of you studied your Bibles this week as much as I did for this sermon or this morning sermon. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I, I don't want to sit around in a, 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 around us in a circle and talk to a bunch of people that haven't read their Bibles or studied their Bibles, and they're just kind of, well, I think it means this. It doesn't really matter what you think. It only matters what it says. And that's why these liberal churches are all messed up. Did you get five or six adults, and they're like, well, Jesus said, in this passage, he said, you know, well, God has joined together. Let not man put us under. I think that's talking about divorce. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. I think it's talking about. And they go down their little road. And they get all this false doctrine. You know what they're doing? They're despising prophesying. And by the way, if, 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 I, if I ever die, you know, if I die or you kill me or something and I'm out of here, you know, make sure the next pastor gets up and wants to preach the Bible. The problem with fundamental Baptist blue today, I mean, I've been to churches where, like, the pastor's looking for, like, any excuse not to preach. I mean, a missionary walks in two minutes before the service starts, never seen this guy in his life, and he's like, you want to preach? Because he's just trying to get out of it. You know what they're doing? They're despising prophesying. The Bible says that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. And we're not going to despise you. And look, it doesn't have to be me. We've got spirit-filled men here that stand up and preach the word. But someone's going to stand up and prophesy the word of God to us. Because that's how God commanded it. You, you ought to study the Bible at home. You ought to have a small group Bible study with your children, with your wife. But when we get together as a church, a man of God stands up with the Holy Spirit of God, with the Word of God, and preaches the Bible, cries aloud, spares not, lifts up his voice like a trumpet. That's what we do. That was a tradition handed down to us. There were men that came before us, and they dug holes, and they took stands, and they fought battles. And every generation, and look, the future generation, your children and my children, are going to have to learn to redig the walls, the, the, the wells that we are digging for them right now. Every generation, every generation needs to learn how to reestablish the works of the prior generation. And what upsets me about the fundamental Baptist movement right now, and listen, I'm not upset that I'm a fundamental Baptist. I've been a Baptist my whole life. Somebody asked me today on the way out. You pastor a Baptist church. You've been a Baptist your life. I'll be honest with you. I've, I've been a Baptist my whole life. I was born a Baptist. I wasn't born saved, but I was born a Baptist. <laughs> I've been a Baptist my whole life. Baptist born, Baptist bred. That's all I've ever known. I don't plan on changing that. I'm not ashamed of being a Baptist. I, I, I'm glad. I, I'm ashamed of some Baptists, but I'm not ashamed of being a Baptist. And, 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 you know, today we've got these Baptists that are trying to forget their heritage. They're trying to forget who they are. They're trying to act like Joel Osteen sent them out. And I'm just telling you, we need to go back and read those wells. The next generation needs to reestablish the works of the prior generation. But there's another thing. Go back to Genesis 26. Look at verse number 19. In Genesis 26 and verse number 19, not only does the next generation need to reestablish the works of the prior generation, but the next generation needs to establish new works for the future generation. Let me say that again. The next generation needs to reestablish the works of the prior generation, but the next generation also needs to establish new works for the future generation. Are you there in Genesis 26? Look down at verse number 19. See, what Isaac did is he went back and found those old wells, and he dug them back up. But, you know, he didn't stop there. You know what else he did? Look at verse 19. And Isaac's servants, notice, digged in the valley. That's another well. That's a new well. And found there well, a well of spring and water. Look down at verse number 21. And they digged another well. 
Look down at verse 22. And he removed from thence and digged another well. Look down at verse number 25. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. Look down at verse 32. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged and said unto him, We have found water. See, I want you to notice, Isaac not only went back and found those old wells that the Philistines had dug it, had, had, had buried down with the earth and redug those wells, then he went and he, and he dug new wells. See, the next generation needs to reestablish the works of the prior generation, but the next generation also needs to establish the new works, uh, new works for the future generation. It's not just about the old past. We also have to do new things. We have to create, we, ha we, have, to, we have to get involved in new wells and in new things. And, and look, one of the biggest, here's, let me share my frustration with you. One of the biggest, uh, uh, one of the biggest attacks we get our movement that we find ourselves in, this group of churches that believes similar things that, that you and I believe. One of the biggest attacks we get from the independent fundamental Baptist movement is because we believe things like family-integrated church, because we have decided that we will not have children's church, we will not have Sunday school, we will not have bus ministry. And look, there are bus ministries and Sunday school classes where people are doing good work and praise the Lord for it, but we've just chosen that we're going to have a family-integrated model like they did in the New Testament. Because we've decided that we're not going to be Zionists worshiping Israel and we believe in replacement theology like the Bible teaches. Because we've decided that we're going to reject dispensationalism and just study the Bible and show thyself approved of the good, uh, unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because we've decided that we're not pre-trib, that we're post-trib, pre-wrath, and we've taken that set. Because we've decided that, they'll say to us, you are leaving You've left, you know, the old traditions of the independent from Baptist movement. But here's, here's what's wrong with that statement, all right? There are new things to our movement that are new, listen to me, new to the Baptist church, to the Baptist movement. But th these things aren't new. For, for, for decades, for hundreds of years, people have believed all these things that you and I believe today. They may be new to the independent Federal Baptist movement, but they're not new. It's the word of God. There's no new thing under the sun. But here's what they'll say. You're, you're, you're getting away from the traditions of the IFP movement. But here's what I think is funny. They're getting away from the traditions of the IFP movement. I mean, if anything, we're the ones that are upholding the tradition. We're the ones that are still making a big deal about the King James Bible. We're the ones that are still making a big deal about soul winning. We're the ones that are still making a big deal about standards and living right and dressing right and being right. We're the ones that are still telling people to read your Bible, to go soul winning, to tithe. They're getting away from all those things. We're upholding those things. But listen to me. When we're digging the old wells, we are. We are going to dig new wells. Because I respect that, Kyle. And I respect Curtis Hudson, and I respect Don R. Rice, and I respect Lee Roberson, and I respect whatever other name you want to throw out there. But at the end of the day, listen to me, Jack Howes was just flat wrong on the pre-trip rapture. We're not going to be faithful to traditions that were wrong. They're, they're just wrong on Zionism. They're just wrong on dispensationalism. And sometimes you do have to build, you have to uh, dig a new well. And listen to me, my kids are probably going to find something I'm wrong about. And if they can prove it from the Bible, they're going to dig that well and praise the Lord for it. Isaac dug up those old wells and said, there are some things we're not leaving. There are some old paths we're going to stick by. But then he went and dug new wells. And by the way, we also need to start new churches. It's not enough to just, well, there's Baptist churches on every corner. Those Baptist churches are dead. 
I mean, there are, it is so frustrating to me. In Sacramento, there's about five or six. I mean, I'm talking about in Natomas, there's like two or three Baptist churches. Beautiful buildings, beautiful sanctuaries. You can fit 300 people in them. They get there on a Sunday morning, there's eight people there. And here we are, we got 150, 160 people on a Sunday morning. We have 100 people on Sunday night. We had 120 people on Wednesday night. No building. We can't, we can't, look, we, it's just, it just has to be a new well. We need the young men from this church to get trained and get serious about reading the Bible and get serious about doing the work of an evangelist and bringing a convert to church and get serious about memorizing and get serious about uh, getting better at preaching and get serious about song leading and get really serious about everything they need to do so that we can send them out because we need new wells. It's not just enough. The, the, look, the Bible college movement has failed us. And yeah, they'll say, you're coming against Bible colleges, you're not independent from Baptist. No, it's just a new well. We just figured out that it, it's not working right. And look, there are some things that are not working right. When I, was, when I was growing up, and even today, the way that Fundamental Baptist did missions is that you had a missionary go around from church to church, and they went to about 50 churches or 60 churches or 100 churches, and had every church commit to give them $25 a month or $50 a month, and when they finally had enough money to go to the mission field, they would go, listen to me, that is a failed system. Amen. That system does not work. Go, you, you, you can go, go look up these missionaries. They'll be on the field for 20, 30 years, got one person saved. But they got a real nice garden. You know, they, they go, they're on the mission field. It doesn't work. You know why? Because what's everyone's responsibility is no one's responsibility. And you know what happens is no one keeps these guys accountable. So we're, we're trying a new way. What's the way? We're sending missionaries where only one church is supporting them. Only two or three churches supporting them. Because guess what? When all your money is coming from one guy, you're going to make sure you are accountable to that one guy. Or that guy's going to make sure he's account you're accountable to him. But this idea of like, well, let's just take on 150 missionaries. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows what their names are. Nobody knows what they're doing. That's a failed system. It doesn't work. The church planning movement in America today has failed. So what are we doing? We're just starting a new way. We're starting churches a different way. We started a church two months ago. It's got 50 people in it up in Vancouver this week on Thursday. My wife and I will be driving, uh, driving up there. We'll be flying up there, and I'll be, I'll be preaching up there. The goal is that in two or three years, we'll cut that umbilical cord, and we'll do it again somewhere else. Why? You say, well, that's a new way of doing it. But sometimes you have to dig a new well. Amen. Sometimes the old way just doesn't work. And we ought, to be, we ought to be loyal to the old paths, but not when they're unscriptural and not when they're ineffective. When they're not working, then look, then when we figure out, well, looks like we were wrong on that. Looks like the Bible doesn't actually teach that. Looks like that's not actually what the Bible says. Then we need to be willing to go on, have a pioneering spirit, and redig a new well. Go, go back to Genesis 26, look at verse 19. Let's finish up. Genesis 26 and verse 19. So we saw, number one, the next generation needs to reestablish the works of the prior generation. Not everything that these guys did was wrong. And, and let me make that clear. Because right now, we got young guys in our movement that want to be pastors, and they act as if the old generation, everything they did was wrong. That's not true. Those guys did good things. Those guys are the reasons we're around. Those guys taught us and trained us and prepared us, and we're thankful for that. They were not right about everything, but the things that they were right about, we're going to redig those wells. And we're going to show honor, and we're going to show respect. But, you know, there are some new wells that need to be done. And that's what I like about Isaac. He didn't just go back and redig the old wells. He went and dug up new wells. Genesis 26, look at verse 19. Let's, let's finish up right here. Genesis 26, 19. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley 
and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar, I want you to notice what happens here. The herdmen of Gerar, remember these are the Philistines. The herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, the water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek. Why do you call it that? Notice, because they strove with him. They're fighting with him. Look at verse 21. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name, uh, the name of it Sitna. Here's what I want you to understand. If you are going to attempt something for God, expect opposition. These guys are out there. They're just trying to build a well. And all of a sudden, these Philistines are fighting them. And by the way, if no one's fighting you, it's probably because you're not doing anything. You know, sometimes people get all scared, like, Pastor, you know, you got all this media against you, you got all these people against you, you're, they're still against us, they're still talking about us on Facebook, and they're still sending you mail or calling you or whatever. But listen to me, that just tells me that we're active, we're doing something. The devil has his sights on us because we're accomplishing something. If you're going to attempt anything, expect opposition. And if no one's opposing you, if everybody loves you, you may be on the wrong side. Because they that, uh, they that uh, will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Here, Isaac is digging wells, and there's opposition notice from the world. The Philistines aren't happy. The Philistines strove with them. The Philistines are fighting with them. Notice verse 22. And he removed from thence. He said, what, do you, what, what does Isaac do when the Philistines show up and they protest his service? What does Isaac do? when the Philistines are fighting against him. Notice what he does. And digged another well. And for that, notice, and for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Let me explain to you how you deal with opposition. You just outlast it. See, back in June, we had all the, you had all the news cameras out here and all these protests out here. And you know what those guys were yelling at us? We're going to be here till you are shut down. We're going to be here till there's no more Verity Baptist Church. We're not leaving. We're not going anywhere. And I haven't seen them in weeks. And we're still here. You say, what, what do you do when you preach a sermon and they come against you? You just preach another one. What do you do when you preach a sermon and the media just fights you? You just do it again. You just dig another well. You just dig another well. You just dig another well. And eventually, verse 22, he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that, they strove not. They just go away. You just outlast them. And he called the name of it Rehoboth, and he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us. And you know what? The, room ha the Lord hath made room for us over off of Norwood <laughs> on Harris Avenue. He said, how do, you, how do you outlast opposition? How, how do you beat opposition? You just outlast it. You just keep doing. You just keep digging. You just keep soul winning. You just don't quit. You just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Fighting for the old wells, digging new wells. Fighting for the old paths, attempting new things for God. Establishing new churches, doing great things for the Lord. See, the next generation needs to reestablish the works of the prior generation, but the next generation also needs to establish new works for the future generation. Let's bow our heads.